It's great to see all of you guys here today, especially after technically losing an hour of sleep. It's great to have you with us, and welcome if you're joining us on Facebook Live this morning as well. We're thrilled you're here. Um, we are two weeks in right now to a series uh, that's going to be taking us for the next several weeks up to Easter Sunday morning, April 21st. And so this series essentially is like preparing us for the celebration that's going to happen as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together. And so to give you kind of some context, this series is called This Is Us. And basically what we're doing is we're looking at several different characters in the Old Testament, and we're examining how God used their lives to tell the story of Jesus, because Jesus is the greatest need that we have, and he is the greatest need that our world has. And so we're asking the question, where do we see ourselves in each one of these characters, and how does God actually want to use our lives and, and use our story to tell the story of Jesus through us as well? And so that's kind of the idea behind the series. And so last week we began by looking at the story of Abraham and the beginning of, of the, the nation of Israel and the promises God made to Abraham. So today we're going to continue that journey. We're looking at the, the character of Moses in the story of the Bible. And uh, our country, our nation, America, has had a ton of great leaders over the course of its history. Um, we've had some incredible leaders that have, have led in our country. And um, in my opinion, one of the greatest leaders that has ever led in our country was a woman who stood just a little bit over five feet tall, and she could not read or write. And, and whenever she would smile, you would have immediately noticed that her top two front teeth were missing. Um, she really didn't look impressive or fit the profile of somebody that, that would have stood out as a leader when you met her. Um, she lived alone, or at least she lived alone after she abandoned her abusive husband at the age of 29. And she had a job, but she would disappear from her place of employment every spring and fall without warning. And she'd be gone for weeks at a time. And whenever she would return, she'd be completely broke and she would just kind of start working again just to sort of scrape together enough money, and then she would just leave again. The people who worked with her said that regularly when she was at work, she would fall asleep on the job. Just out of the blue, she would just pass out. And she attributed this to the fact that she had sustained a head injury earlier in her life, and that was the reason for that. Uh, so when you hear me describe that, who would respect a leader like that? I mean, honestly, who would actually follow a leader like that? And the answer, of course, is the hundreds and hundreds of slaves that followed her out of the South to freedom in the 1850s. You and I, we know her as Harriet Tubman, but the slaves that followed her to freedom, they called her by a different name. The name that they called her was Moses. Moses, that was the nickname that she had. That's what they called her. And the reason, of course, they called her Moses is because of her similarity to the biblical character, Moses, that we're going to be looking at and studying today. Both Moses and Harriet Tubman both shared some similar qualities. God used them in a powerful way to lead a group of people to freedom. But they also shared the quality that they were both unlikely leaders, they weren't people that, that sort of fit the profile. Neither one of them were people that would have stood out to you where you'd gone, now there's a leader. There's somebody God can use. You wouldn't have thought that. Nothing about their stature, nothing, nothing about their personhood would have spoke to that idea. 
And so we're going to look today at uh, the story of Moses. You can find it in the book of Exodus in the Bible. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Most of the narrative of Moses' life is there in Exodus, although he's the main character throughout Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy as well throughout the Bible. And the big thing that you see that, that is the thread that you can trace through Moses' life, and we're going to look at this this morning, is this idea of identity. Moses had identity issues, identity insecurity he just didn't fit the profile, didn't fit the bill. Even his name, the name Moses, even that name has identity issues. He grew up as a Hebrew with an Egyptian name. The name Moses is actually an Egyptian name. And so we're going to enter Moses' story here in a moment. But if Moses were alive today, Moses, we would say that Moses was wrestling with something called imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is a psychological term that is a condition that describes a lot of people today. And essentially, imposter syndrome is this fundamental fear that at any moment I'm going to be unmasked or found out as a fraud, that I don't belong here, that I don't really have what it takes. Uh, they're saying millennials, the millennial generation wrestles with imposter syndrome uh, quite a bit and in huge numbers. But achievers feel imposter syndrome when they've been promoted to a new job and they feel like they're in over their head. And it's this sense of this fear that, oh man, I hope nobody finds me out. I hope nobody realizes I don't belong here. New parents feel imposter syndrome when they've had a new baby, right? It's like, okay, we had the baby, but we have no idea how to be parents now. And I hope nobody realizes what lousy parents we really are. And I have this theory. I think that many, many people who are trying to follow Jesus in their lives uh, also wrestle with imposter syndrome. I think many people here even today wrestle with this sense of imposter syndrome. There's this idea that I'm here, I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I I'm afraid that somebody's gonna find me out. Hope nobody asks me to pray out loud, right? Because then it, it might, they might realize I don't really belong here. I don't have what it takes. I don't even know how to open my Bible and read it and study it and actually understand what it's saying. I don't know how to share my faith with someone else. I don't know how to you know, start up a spiritual conversation with my neighbor or share you know, what God's done in my life. I don't know how to do that. Have you ever had this sense in your life like you didn't have what it takes and you were just sort of hoping everybody around you wasn't gonna figure out how deeply insecure and afraid you were on the inside? That's Moses. And so the powerful thing about Moses' story that we're gonna see is that God appears to Moses, God reveals himself to Moses, and he speaks in this very unique way directly to that fear, to that imposter syndrome, to that sense that he doesn't belong, to those identity issues that he wrestles with. God speaks directly to that. And I've had this sense, maybe God wants to do that for some of you today. Maybe God wants to speak to you in a similar way as he spoke to Moses and talk to you about that, those same kind of identity issues. And so in Exodus 2 is where we're gonna start. In the beginning of the book of Exodus, the story opens this way. God's people, Israel, have become slaves in Egypt. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, in an attempt to control the slave population, has ordered a decree that all the male Hebrew baby boys would be put to death. That was his solution to, to how fast the slave population was growing. They'd become kind of a threat. And so he said, Why don't, we're going to put to death all the male baby boys. And so in this dramatic story, uh, Moses is rescued out of 
this moment. His mother puts him in a basket, unable to even bear the thought of her son being put to death. She puts him in a basket, floats him down the Nile River, and he's rescued out of the Nile River by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. And so he grows up in Pharaoh's home. He's given an Egyptian name, but he's not an Egyptian. He's a Hebrew, and he's growing up in the home of the very guy who was trying to kill him. You talk about like a mind-blowing set of identity issues that he's dealing with. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. Moses has grown up. Uh, so this is Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says this, Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. Now this event has all kinds of irony tied into it. So, so what you have here in this moment is Moses goes out and he, and he bears witness to the suffering of his people, how much they're being beaten and mistreated by, by the Egyptians as slaves. And in this moment, what he, he sees this Egyptian beating this uh, slave, this Hebrew slave. And so he has this kind of moment where he, it's like he who has been rescued from the Egyptians comes to the rescue of someone else from an Egyptian. And in this moment, he, he steps in to rescue this person. Now, of course, he kills the Egyptian. He shouldn't have done that. That was a bad idea. So he commits murder. He kills the Egyptian and, and hides the body in the sand. But then the story goes on from there. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses asked, to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you gonna kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking everyone knows what I did. So here in this moment, it's the very next day. And it's almost like Moses can't just walk by, you know, this conflict that's happening without jumping in. He, he has to confront the bully. The day before, it's an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. He, he jumps in, he kills the Egyptian. Today, it's two Hebrew men fighting, and it's like he has, to, he has to jump in. He has to confront the bully. He just can't let things be. There's something inside of him that makes him want to jump in. And in this moment, he realizes, oh, no, maybe people have found out what I did and what happened. Go on, uh, next verse. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. So Moses' solution to this crisis in his life is to run away. It's, it's to run, it's to flee from, from where he's at in Egypt and to go to the land of Midian. Now at this time uh, in Midian, there was a nomadic group of shepherds. And so his solution basically is, what I'm going to do is I'm going to run away. I'll just leave my old life behind, and I'll just go be a shepherd in Midian. That's what I'll do. That, that's the way he's going to solve this problem. And so the thread that's running through Moses' life up to this point is this whole idea that he is not who he's pretending to be. Moses keeps pretending to be somebody that he's not. He keeps trying to be someone that, that deep down inside he isn't. He's no Egyptian prince just because he grew up in Pharaoh's home. And he's no shepherd just because he goes to Midian. That's not who he is at the deepest core of his being. 
his identity issues, his imposter syndrome kind of causes him to go out and to kind of chase after this other thing. He's going to change the surroundings in order to fix what's broken in his life. There is a uh, statement that's become famous in the recovery movement. If you've been on a recovery journey, you've probably heard it said, and this is the, the statement, it's no matter where you go, there you are. <laughs> Sounds silly at first, doesn't it? But it's actually a very profound statement. No matter where you go, there you are. It's this idea that no matter where you go, no matter how you try to run away, no matter how you try to change your surroundings so that you don't keep falling into the same problems and falling into the same path, no matter how you try to rearrange the furniture, no matter where you go, there you still are. You take you with you. There's this idea that no matter what we change about our external circumstances, no matter how we change our surroundings, no matter how we rearrange the furniture, until you've dealt with what's inside of you, until you've dealt with what's broken on the inside of your life, no matter where you go, there you are. Those same problems are still going to keep emerging. So Moses, even though he's run over here to Midian, even though he's changed the surroundings and changed the external, just because he's done that doesn't mean that these same issues aren't still going to affect him. What's internal in his life is still broken. And the reason for that is because only God can speak to what's broken inside of Moses. Only God can speak to what's broken inside of every single one of us. You can't escape what's broken inside of you just by changing your surroundings. You have to have an encounter with God. Up to this point in Moses' life, he had not had an encounter with God. Even though he'd grown up as a Hebrew, he'd grown up as one of God's people, a child of Abraham, an heir to the same promises as that had been given to Abraham that we looked at last week, even though that's who he was, he had not had an encounter with God. And so no matter where he goes, no matter how he tries to rearrange the furniture, it can't fix what's broken inside of him. Only God is the one who's gonna be able to do that. We can't do that, but we try all the time, don't we? We try to just sort of fix what's externally broken in our lives to, to you know, heal what's broken inside of us. We do it all the time. You can't fix imposter syndrome just by changing your job or changing your spouse or changing your diet, trying a new diet or changing, you know, whatever, whatever it is. We can't fix ourselves by changing those things. We can only fix what's broken inside of us by going to God. And so Moses' story goes on from there. He finds himself in Midian. Go ahead to the next slide. Now the priest of Midian, it says, had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and fill the water troughs for their father's flock. But some other shepherds came and chased them away. So Moses jumped up and what? Rescued the girls from the shepherds. Then he drew water for their flocks. Is anybody noticing a pattern here in Moses' life? Anybody else seen this? It's, it's like it, no matter where he goes, no matter how far he tries to run away from it, the same thing just keeps happening. Every time he sees somebody being oppressed, he jumps in to rescue them. It's like he can't help himself. He literally cannot walk by the situation and ignore it. He has to jump in. He jumps in with the Egyptian. He jumps in with the two Hebrew men fighting with each other. He runs away to Midian and suddenly there's these, these girls being oppressed and he jumps in to rescue them from these shepherds. He just can't help it. And what's interesting about Moses' life is although this thread continues to go through, Moses, we, we believe, was around 40 years old 
when he killed the Egyptian. And then he lives another 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. Spends all that time. He still has not had an encounter with, with God. He still doesn't know who he is. He's still wrestling with, with this whole identity and who, who God has made him to be. And at the age of 80, finally, Moses has this encounter with God. You find it in Exodus chapter three. And what happens is Moses is out in the desert and he sees a burning bush. Now, what we know about that place in the world uh, is that a burning bush would actually not have been that uncommon because of the heat, because of the dryness, because of the, of the climate, that, that actually was not an uncommon thing where you would see a bush that was on fire. But there was something different about this bush. And so Moses is drawn to it, and as he's drawn to it, he realizes this bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. There's something different about this, that the, the bush is not burning up and being consumed by the flames, and so he draws near, and as he draws nearer to that fire of that bush, God begins to speak to him in this moment. And God says, Moses, I want you to take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy ground. So Moses takes off his sandals and then God just begins to speak to him. He's in the presence of God and he has this encounter with God where God begins to speak and God begins to speak directly to what's happening in Moses' life. Then the Lord told him, this is Exodus 3 verse 7, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard the cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. God speaks right into this situation. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. And then verse 10, he says, now go for I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. There's this huge moment where God begins to speak directly to exactly what's broken in Moses' life. And, and there's so many things that are happening in this passage. This passage is so rich as God speaks to Moses. But one of the things that, that's happening is God is pulling out this thread of what's always, already always been true in Moses' life. And basically what God is doing is he's inviting Moses to take this thing that is already true about him, that he jumps in to rescue people, that he's a rescuer. That from the foundations of time, that's what God gave him an identity to be. He's a rescuer, that's who he is. No matter where he goes, no matter how he changes his surroundings, he can't help it, it's just who he is. And God invites Moses to surrender that to him. And God says, let me char supercharge that with my power so we can actually go do something big together, Moses. It's literally like God says, hey, Moses, you know how you like to rescue people? That's because I put that in you. I made you, I created you to be that. And I rescued you, Moses. So what do you say to let me supercharge that in your life so you can actually live out and accomplish your purpose? The purpose that you were created to fulfill from the foundation of time, it was given you. Your mission in life is to become fully who God created you to be. He made you with a purpose. But, but here's the, the kicker. You can't accomplish your purpose without God's power. 
And God will not lend you his power so that you can accomplish your purposes. That's not how it works. God doesn't say, here you go, I'm gonna let you have my power. Have fun, go do whatever you want with it. I'll just be kind of over here in the corner watching. That's not how it works. God gifted each one of us with an identity, with a purpose from the core, to the core of our being, from the foundation of time. He equipped us and gave us that. But we can't fully become who we are without his power, without him at work in our lives, working through us in his power. So Moses and God have this conversation that transpires from chapter three to chapter four of the book of Exodus. It's this powerful encounter, this powerful moment and so many things happen in it theologically. There's so much going on. But for our purposes today, just to kind of pull out this thread, in uh, 3.11, uh, Moses responds to this message from God by saying, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? And that's the, been the deep question of Moses' life, his whole life, hasn't it? Who am I? He doesn't know who he is. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Like he, he's like, man, I don't have anything inside of me. I don't fit the bill. I don't fit this, the, you know, the profile of what, who, the person that should go do this. And in verse 14, God responds by saying, tell them I am sent you. It's this name of God that, that God reveals to Moses in this moment. The name Yahweh means I am. God. So who am I to appear before Pharaoh? And God says, Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. Who I am is enough for what you need to accomplish your purpose. I am, God says. And Moses in 4.10 responds by saying, but I'm not very good with words. Do you see the conversation here? Who am I? He asks, God says, I am. The answer to who you are has to do with who I am. And I am enough for you. And, and, he, and he responds by saying, but I'm not. I'm not very good with words. I'm not a public speaker. I'm not a leader. I don't know, what to, I don't know how to do this kind of stuff. I'm not very good with words. As you reflect on your story, as I reflect on my story, as we kind of turn this and think about like, where does this land in our lives? The reality for every single one of us in this room is that we all have an I'm not statement. Every single one of us has an I'm not statement that we sort of fall back to. We all have our list of re the I'm nots of our lives. And God, here's the thing, God already knows you're not. He already knows that list. And he also already knows who you are. And, and he knows that, that you need him. God doesn't need us. He chooses to use us. He creates us with a purpose. And then he chooses to use us. Because who he is is what matters and what gives us our true identity. There's this fascinating Jewish midrash about the burning bush the rabbis would debate and debate and debate what was the true miracle of the burning bush. So Moses sees this burning bush, but there's something different about it. As he draws closer, there's something different about this bush. And so the rabbis have debated, was the true miracle of the burning bush the fact that the bush did not burn up in the fire, that it wasn't consumed by the fire? Or was the real miracle of the burning bush that the fire did not need the bush in order to burn. Is the true miracle, what really drew Moses in was the fact that the fire had no need of the bush 
in order to burn. I have the same conversation with God on Monday mornings, every Monday morning. Do you know for pastors, Mondays suck? Did you know that? If, if you want to call up a pastor and, and uh, don't do it on Monday morning, don't call up a pastor on Monday morning and tell them all the things that are wrong with the church. Just don't do that, okay? I'll just give you a little warning. For pastors, Mondays are the worst because what happens is, you know, when attendance is down and, and when giving is in a slump and nobody's getting baptized, I mean, there were seasons, there were years in the life of this church where I would come in on Monday mornings and I would have to like peel myself up off the carpet, because in my mind, if the fact that those things weren't happening was some sort of an indication about me. They spoke somehow to, to my identity, to who I was. They spoke to some failure in my life. Those things weren't happening because of, of some way that I'm failing in some way that I'm not enough. And so I would have, like Moses, on Monday mornings, every Monday morning I would have this conversation where I would talk to God about what I'm not. I'm not like this pastor over here. Our, we're, our church is not like this church over here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. But the, here, what's interesting is the, the reverse of that is true as well. The opposite is also true. So during seasons in our church's life when attendance is up and the church is growing and Another 17 people get baptized, like we saw a couple weeks ago. What happens is I find myself on Monday morning sort of floating into the office, like gliding in. My feet aren't even touching the ground, and I am congratulating myself on how good I am. And this past Monday morning, I was studying for this sermon, and God just wrecked me. He met me this past Monday morning. And so I need to say this, and, and you need to hear this. Listen very closely. The fire does not need the bush in order to burn. Are we clear on that? The fire has no need of the bush in order to burn. It is the power of Jesus and Jesus alone that moves his church forward. The church exists for him, it exists from him, and it exists for his purposes. And it is the power of Jesus. When things are up, when things are down, it is Jesus and his power alone that, that moves the church forward. That is it. The fire has no need of the bush in order to burn. Now, here's the thing. None of you experience that on, on Mondays. You know, you, you don't, whether the attendance is up or people are getting baptized, has no effect on you Monday morning. But here's the thing, every single one of us in this room checks something. We all check something. Maybe it's the scale for you. And every morning, whatever that number is on the scale, whether when it, that number goes up and when that number goes down, your sense of worth and your sense of value goes up and down based on that number. Maybe it's the bank account. And you check that bank account and when the number is up or when the number is down, your sense of security your sense of trust in God for, for him to, to be there in the, in the moments of your life goes up and down based on that number. Maybe it's how many followers you have, how many likes you, maybe you check, how many likes did I get on that last post? You know, validation from people. And there's this sense that, 
you know, if, if it's been a lot of likes, if it's not been a lot of likes, then, then my sense of our, how much I'm loved, how much I'm uh, valued, how much I'm worth goes up and down based on that. And here's what you need to hear this morning. The, the reason that none of those things can ever bring you the meaning that you're looking for. You're looking for meaning in all those things. And the reason that you cannot find meaning in any of those things is because the meaning you're looking for has already been gifted you in Jesus it's already yours from the foundation of time in Christ. And you have to go to him to get it. So what happens is when we're not getting that sense of identity and purpose vertically from Jesus, we go shopping for it horizontally. And that describes the brokenness of so many people in our world. And it's described the brokenness of my life at different points and different times. The fire has no need of the bush to burn. We need the fire of God in our lives. We need the fire of Jesus in our lives to bring fulfillment, to bring purpose to the things that he's gifted us to do. It's already yours in Jesus. You just have to come to him for it. What's amazing is that you see Jesus in Moses' story in so many ways again and again and again. In fact, there are four gospel accounts in the New Testament of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in the fourth gospel, John's gospel, John in his gospel goes to great lengths to point out all the connections between Moses to Jesus and how Moses' life told the story and foreshadowed the story of Jesus. And so I'll just give you some of the highlights of that. In John's gospel, these are all events in Moses' life that you can read about in Exodus and, and Numbers. Um, like the Passover lamb, Jesus is the lamb of God for those who put their faith in his shed blood to rescue them from the judgment that is to come. That's in John 1. Next one. Like the manna in the desert, it's a story in Moses' life in the desert with the people of Israel. Jesus is the bread from heaven that rescues us from spiritual starvation. Jesus says that about himself in John 6. Next one. Like the water that sprung from the rock, Jesus is the living water that rescues us from spiritual thirst. Jesus said this about himself in John 7. Next one. Like the snake in the desert that was lifted up to save those bitten by deadly snakes, Jesus is lifted up on the cross to rescue us who have been bitten by Satan. Jesus is having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus, and he says that about himself in John chapter 3. Over and over and over again, the story of Moses points to and tells of a bigger story, of a bigger exodus, of a bigger moment when Jesus would come. At the end of Moses' life, he's 120 years old. The book of Deuteronomy is basically a speech that Moses gives to the people of Israel right before they enter into the promised land. So picture him as an old man now. He's standing in front of the people of Israel right before they're about to go into the promised land. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, he says this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And the person Moses was talking about was Jesus. Jesus. Jesus who came to lead us in a second exodus not from slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt, but an exodus out of our shared oppressor of sin and death, Jesus. It's all about him. He was the fire that did not need the bush in order to burn. 
we do with that? Here's what I wanna invite you to do. In order for you to live out your purpose, the purpose that God created you for and, and, and gave to you from the, your identity from the foundation of time, in order to live that out, you have to focus on who he is and stop focusing on what you're not. I live differently when I focus on who he is instead of who I'm not. Mondays are different for me when I focus on who he is and I stop worrying about who I'm not. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. It almost sounds too simplistic. But the way to know yourself better, we think I've got to learn more about myself. I've got to take this test and that test and know more about myself. If you want to, in order to you know, fulfill my purpose and know what God's calling me to do, that's not it. If you want to know more about yourself, if you know, want to know about who you are, who you really are, your true identity, you have to find it in him. You have to know Jesus. You have to go after him with everything you've got. It's when we gaze intently on the person of Jesus that we begin to understand who we are and we begin to live out what he's called us to live out. Who am I? Moses asks and God says, I am. That's your answer. I am. It doesn't matter who you're not. So what does it look like for you to do that? What does it look like for you to set down the list of I'm not and to begin to just focus in on who God says you are? on who Jesus is. I would love to uh, offer a prayer for us to reflect on that, and then we're gonna respond in singing and worship. But before I do that, I wanna invite the ushers to come forward. And um, we're gonna take uh, an offering right now. If you're giving this morning, I wanna let you know there are three ways to give here during the worship service as the offering baskets are passed or online or texting to give. Uh, as we prepare ourselves for that, would you stand with me to offer a prayer together? Lord Jesus, right now we come to you. You are the living water that, would, that satisfies our spiritual thirst so that we're never thirsty again. You are the bread of life so that we wouldn't go hungry. You are our Passover lamb who shed blood for us on the cross has paid the price for our sins and given us a rescue. And so God, this morning we come to you with our list of things that we're not. And this morning we want to gaze intently on who you are, Jesus. We want to find our identity. We want to find our purpose and our calling in you. So we do exactly what you invited us to do, Jesus. Right now we come to you we surrender ourselves to you. We fix our eyes on you, not on what the world says we are, not on what we think we're not, not on all the, the, the things that have sort of picked away at us in our world. God, we focus on who you are. We fix our eyes on you and we ask you to show us how you want to tell your story through our lives. So God, would you do that? Would you allow us to have an encounter with you just like you did for Moses, so that we know who you are. In Jesus' name, everybody said.